The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we say thank you for your great love poured out on us that does indeed mean all is well in Christ. Under the shelter of Christ's wings, we find rest, blessing, peace, growth, wholeness. Outside of His shelter, outside of His provided care, Your love to us, outside of that all is not well, but You have made it so that there is a place to find hope. We bless You for doing so. You've given us a great, great shelter, a rock to hide in. And what I pray this morning, that as we open up your word and consider him, that you would cause us to, we here who are your people, that you would cause us to see in in a new way, to see and to reckon as true and to believe that this Christ is our hope. That this ruler, this king, is the one that we need. A great gift. A shelter given by you over us. Give us sight of that, Lord, and bend our wills to be happily beneath Him. We are prone to wander. We are a people who are still, sadly, often stiff-necked. Hard to turn. So do a work of softening in us. Do a work of calling in us. Shape us to follow You. To submit to this leader's rule for our great good. To experience and and to rejoice in the love that You have provided for us in this King. Do that this morning, Lord, through through a passage that is really not all that complicated. But speak speak the, the great truths that are behind these truths. Speak them into our hearts and cause them to take root there and to, and to blossom, to grow. Give clarity to my words here. Make Your text clear. Press it into Your people. Lord, I I imagine that there are some who will hear this who are not your people, at least not yet. Speak to them the warning that is in this passage also. Speak to them the hope that's here and speak to them the warning that is here. And call them from darkness to light to a shining sun and a glorious day. Call them away from the fire. Do that work too, I pray. Make your word clear to us. Spirit of God, have your way in our hearts. Conform us to the image of Christ. Grow us. Build your church. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We turn our attention this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 23, where we find another poetic passage written by David. We're nearing the end of this book of Samuel, First and 2 Samuel combined, and we're working through this, this final this uh, epilogue, this final summary section here of chapters 21 to 24, all of which contains events that are not, as, as you'll recall, not chronologically ordered for us. They, they are gathered together from all different pieces and points in David's life to, to kind of present to us some reminder and, and some reinforcement of what it is about David that is desirable and what it is about David that models for us that which is desirable. So we have these things gathered here together at the end in these final chapters. And if you look at the final chapters themselves, they are structured in a particular way that creates a pinnacle. So we're here at the the final great summary section, and we're here at the pinnacle, the summary section, poetry. Chapters 22 and the beginning of 23. Last week in 22, we saw the emphasis fall on the Lord's protection and, and deliverance of this king, David. He is vehement, we saw, extremely eager and extremely concerned to deliver his chosen king from all attack, from all trouble, and then more than just delivering him as the psalm that is, chapter 22, moved through towards the last half, more than just delivering him out of trouble, he makes him a great warrior and lifts him up onto a throne, giving him rule over all the nations, because he said he would. It's the center of it. He's faithful to his promise. God, eager to deliver, to defend, and then to raise up and anoint his king, to establish him, which is a very good and very gracious thing, blessing to all those who are under his reign, which is the focus of today's passage, the poetry in chapter 23, the first seven verses, focusing on this good king and the blessing that he is. And as it does that, it's going to touch on Another topic, which is, again, fitting for this final section, a thread that runs through the whole of Samuel, the idea of rule. Blessing. It's, it's a good thing. But as we talk about the good thing that, that this rule is, it's possible that it might poke at you a little bit. Because it is, it's in our, it is, it is heavily in our American nature to resist authority over us. Here's something that says, here's a ruler, not an advisor, a counselor, a ruler who is good for you, a blessing to you. It's going to raise for us then the issue of who's the ruler over me. There might be some challenge in that, while there should also be some great encouragement. God has raised up a king like he promised, a very good gift to us. Unless, of course, you resist it. That brings trouble. So we're going today in the first seven verses of chapter 23. Let me read them and then pass back through to make sure we understand. There are a couple of details we need to look kind of closely at to understand the flow of the passage, and then I'll make a couple of observations. Second Samuel 23, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the last words of David the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For He has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will He not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, though they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear. And they are utterly consumed with fire. First Samuel 23. passage begins by saying it's the last word of David, but it is not literally the final word of David. We know from elsewhere in the Bible that, for instance, he spoke with Solomon from his deathbed. He had more things to say in his life after this. It's the last official word. It's the last proclamation from David. And so, in in that sense, it should carry some weight with us. And then particularly here at the pinnacle of the final summary section, it should also draw our attention. But first there is this lead-up. David is introduced to us. He, He introduces himself as the son of Jesse, which takes us all the way back. We haven't thought about him as the son of Jesse for a long time. So it should cause us to think about way back in 1 Samuel where he was the little boy left out in the field when the prophet came to, to Jesse's house looking for the one to anoint. Surely not this little guy. They left him out in the field. He was so insignificant, the final son of all this large family. But he is the man who was lifted up, exalted on high. He is the anointed of the God of Jacob. Literally, it is the Messiah of the God of Jacob. The anointed ruler the sweet psalmist of Israel. The one who writes, the one who is the subject of and the writer of the psalms of Israel. The, the songs that Israel sings are about him. What this is doing in the beginning, it's creating this, this picture of this humble one brought from nothing and set up. And then we get four different times. This is the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through him. He received the Spirit anointing when he was picked out by Samuel there and the Spirit did not depart from him. The Spirit continues to speak through him. Speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel, the Rock of Israel, terminology from the previous psalm, speaks. He has spoken. He has said to me. It's line, 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 setting up. This is God's word coming through me. And the effect of all of this, here's this man raised up to this position, and then one step further, to speak, 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 speak the word of the Lord. That's the introduction to the oracle. The final word. End of verse 3 in the beginning of 4. It's actually not very long at all. Now, all of this is the word of the Lord, but this is in particular... This is the word of the Lord recording the word of the Lord. Here's the focus. And when we read it, 
it would be easy to read it as some sort of a a simple sounding statement when one rules justly over men he shines on them like the sun and they sprout up like grass and prosper it would be easy to read it like that when just rule comes people prosper just rule is good for people which is true but hardly prophetic and hardly worthy of this elaborate build up to declare good rule is good that's true but there's more here and as we dig into this what we're going to encounter is one of the difficulties in translation if you ever translated something from any other language to say english you know there's always a little difficulty in how do I render this so that people can get what's actually there. We're going to encounter a little bit of that as we begin to look at this oracle closely. If you have multiple English translations in front of you, which, which is a good way to study, you're helped to notice things. If you have the NAS in front of you right now, you'll see a little bit of this. The NAS is the New American Standard. It's often a little more literal translation. If you're reading that, you'll notice third line of verse 3, when one rules justly, the word when is not actually there in the text. Most of our English translations include the word when because it, there's an idea here that we, need to, we English readers need to catch. It's forward-looking. When, there's, there's something out there. This is an oracle. This is prophetic utterance about something in the future. And there's a very subtle piece of the original grammar that points us to look into the future. And so English will render it with a when so that we lift up our eyes and we're looking ahead. We're seeing something along with prophet David. That's your posture. And when you've got that posture, then... You can kind of in your mind set the word when aside and then you'll notice again looking at the NAS the beginning of each of those two lines is one who rules, a ruler. A ruling one. This is a word about a ruler out there. Got that? A ruler out there who rules over men, not just over Israel, over men. Mankind, justly, a ruler who rules in the fear of the Lord. He dawns, I see him, he dawns on them like the sun rising. Like the sun coming up on a cloudless day, bright and beautiful and glorious, shining down on mankind on wet ground that just has absorbed the rain and causing the grass to sprout up beautiful and green and fresh. That's the oracle. That's the word. David sees something. A ruler rising like the sun on people, causing the nations to sprout up and prosper. He utters that, and then he reflects on his own house in light of it. Verse 5, Is not my own house like that, 
thinking of God's covenant with him, as he says. Next line. God made, again referring back to 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with David and promised him, your house, David, rulers. Generation after generation, without end, rulers coming from you. David sees his own house in that and says, this covenant that God made with me, it is secure, it is established, it's locked in. God guaranteed it. And will He not fulfill every help, everything that I need, everything that, not I, I'm about to die, but everything that my line needs after me, everything that I need to, to walk into this covenant, He will fulfill every help, every hope, every desire. He will do it in me. In the line of David. He knows that he is, his line is, David is the answer to the problem of the whole book. Rule. This, this thing comes from way back, the book of Judges. There is no king in the land. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Worthless men in Gebeah caused catastrophe at the end of Judges. Do you remember it? Those worthless men there. And then worthless men in the beginning of 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli, caused catastrophe at the temple. And David is the answer. But not David himself. That ruler. He sees him dawning like the sun on the people. But these worthless men, verses 6 and 7, they will have to be dealt with. They are like thorns that you just cannot get rid of. They are worth nothing but to be thrown away, but you cannot take them in the hand. They're thorns. You can't grab them. They poke you. They're worthless, but they can't be eradicated. Except, verse 7, there is one man who will touch them, armed and armored, and he will throw them in the fire and they will be utterly consumed. Finally. The problem of centuries, the problem of of life will be fixed on the day that one comes. That's the passage. The text before us. I'm going to summarize it in this sentence and then make a couple of observations about it of, of different lengths. The first observation is much longer than the second one. But what I'm working towards is a call to us. A call to trust. So here's, here's the sentence. Trust this ruler who has come and believe that he is coming. Trust this ruler who has come and believe that he is coming. I'll make two observations to kind of move us towards that point. So the first one, longer, and capture the, the bulk of the passage here. I put it like this. A ruler is coming, says David. A ruler is coming who will bring in a glorious day. David looks ahead and he sees a ruler is coming who will bring in a glorious day. And there is so much here. I, I know I'm speaking to a great majority of the people here. You are Christians. And I'm speaking to you about something that 
as I say that, as I've been talking, I, I sure hope that you know what I'm talking about already. There better not be any surprises here. But so much of what this is, is a call to you to see something. There is a ruler coming who brings a glorious day. David sees him out there. And as I'll say a little bit later, we see him kind of in between. Come and coming. You know that. Look. Believe. So, so walk through this and, and think about it. Not only think about it. There, there will be facts to learn, yes, but don't only think about it as information to, to freshly gather in. But, oh, you must, you must see. This is all about what's coming, about what David sees, what the Lord is up to, and he tells David, and then David tells us, a ruler who is characterized, whose rule is characterized by righteousness and justice and by the fear of the Lord. One who rules justly. One who rules in the fear of the Lord. One who rules whose heart himself, this ruler, is fixed on God. Centered on God. God holds all of his attention. The Lord is central to him and so that everything he does... The way he rules is God-like. Because God is controlling him and influencing what he's like. So, so this ruler himself and then all of his rule is righteous and just and Godward. It is like a morning day that breaks, shines, and causes grass to sprout up, which is not about a lawn. It's not. Sprouting up of green grass under sun and rain is, is a frequent biblical metaphor, particularly when contrasted with thorns and thistles, like in this passage. Think of the Garden of Eden. It's lush. It's green. It's fruitful. And then eventually when rain comes, even more so. It's about a, a prospering, blessed, righteous, good, whole place. And then what happens in Genesis 3 when sin and rebellion comes in and curse? Thorns and thistles come from the ground. That's the contrast. And it, you can follow it throughout the, the Bible. It pops up in other places. A couple places you might know. Isaiah 5 or Isaiah 7. Those are two rather well-known passages. The lush land of milk and honey, the, the plentiful vineyard, productive and fruitful, falls into sin and under the judgment of God, and God says that He will turn it over to be a place of thorn and briar. So that's several times in those chapters. So there's a contrast here presence of thorns is about judgment for sin and it's about wickedness and it's about alienation from the smile of God. It's about physical and spiritual wreckage, worthlessness in contrast to sun and rain 
and sprouting and newness and freshness and blessing and growth and prosperity. It's a land, or since we're talking about rulers, a kingdom. One sort or the other. And this ruler that comes, he's going to dawn on them in righteous, just rule, himself fully fixed on the fear of the Lord. And he will pass that on into the place and it will be like the sun rising and causing prosperity to flourish, growth to to rise up everywhere and thorns to finally be ripped out of the ground, thrown into the fire and eliminated forever. That day, A great, righteous ruler coming and the dark night ends and the sun rises and hope blossoms. The garden is recovered forever. When someone from David's house, not David, someone from David's house comes. We can stand in... David's shoes for one minute longer and say, who is this Messiah of the Lord that this Messiah of the Lord is speaking about? You see, that's the question left right there for us. It's not hard for us to answer that. The great son, his name is Jesus. And he has come to bring that day. It has dawned. You knew I was going there 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. I hope you come in here every week knowing I'm going there because the Bible's going there always. What's going on here is that that God is continually speaking an oracle to you, Christian, to hold up in front of you your hope. See Him, this ruler, He has come and the day has already dawned. The sun has already risen. It's here. He has come full of righteousness and justice, full of the fear of the Lord. And He is about, already about returning all of the creation back to what it was made to be. And the warning here. He is about rooting out and eliminating one day all thorns. All worthlessness. All wickedness. Which does leave a warning there for some of us. And I have to speak this warning. It is not the main focus, but there's a warning here that must be must be comprehended. We sang earlier, because of the love of God, all is well. And I prayed right after that, mindful of of a mistake that it's easy for us to make. We can sing, because of the love of God, all is well with me, regardless of ruler Jesus and how I relate to Him. That's not true. The love of God that makes it well for people is through ruler Jesus. 
you were probably not accustomed to calling yourself a worthless man. What that language means, those who resist ruler Jesus. Those who are against Him. Tracing it all through the Scriptures and all through this story of Samuel, there is always the kingdom of God at work through His servant and worthless men who oppose it. You must comprehend the dawning of this day is not good news if you resist the ruler who is over it. You can't stop it any sooner than you can stop the sun from coming up. Your only hope is to submit to Him. To repent. That means to turn to this ruler. To bow before Him and say, Have me. Reign over me. And then you move out of verses 6 and 7 up into verses 3 and 4 gloriously. So there's a, there's a threat there in 6 and 7, but there's a promise there in 3 and 4. There's a promise to you that under the wings of this shelter, under the reign of this King, you too can blossom, but you will not otherwise. Come, come, come. But the promise there is the main focus. The promise there that, that's to all of us. This Ruler has come and He is about renewing God's creation, God's kingdom, God's people. Removing the thorns, not just other people, but removing all bits of rebellion that are even within us. Ah! Bless God for it. This King, He is about changing the way the world is in a way that is better than just declaring the way it should be, like the law does. David does not speak of a king who comes and says, thus should it be. He speaks of a king who comes and makes it thus. He changes us. The law abides. The law is good. The law tells us what should be. Righteousness and justice and the fear of the Lord should be. And then here comes a king who makes it so in a way far better than the law ever could because it's weakened by your flesh. This king comes, moves into you, and changes you gloriously. Do you realize how good that is that there is a ruler who does not crush, but a ruler who comes, slips into your heart, reworks it for your glorious good? What a kind ruler. And He is resolutely at work in you. With great resolve, He is not only committed to getting rid of the weeds, the thorns out there, but even the ones in here. And so He is at work constantly on you working in you so that you desire what is holy and right and just, so that you yourself fear the Lord. Which again, for those of us who are not familiar with that, is not about cringing terror. It is about awestruck 
proper reverential respect. He's at work in you to work justice into you, to work righteousness into you, to work the fear of the Lord into you so that you are like Him. Gloriously. He's about changing what you love so that it is right and pure. Changing what you think about, what you contemplate so that it is beautiful and sound. Changing everything about you to make you new. Changing the world around us by changing people individually. We see a little bit of a taste of that in the church. The new world. The new creation. A church should work differently than the world out there works because the church is full of new people who are being made new. A taste of what's coming. Freedom from thorns in your own soul, in your mind, in your body, in your experience as you run into other people out there who themselves are being changed. That has already begun. But we also know that it's not not done. And so there is more glorious truth held out here. Often we, we read the Old Testament and very often, very, very often, we, we run into a prophetic statement that looks ahead and sees something. And when you get to the point that is seen there, we realize, oh, there's more to come yet. Not unlike walking through the mountains. If you stand in the parking lot, you look at the mountains here, you, you see some peak and you think, oh, there's the top. But if you were to climb to whatever top point you're looking at, you'd realize, oh, this isn't the top at all. That over there is the top. And if you were to go there, same thing. Until eventually you reach what actually is the peak. When we're in the Old Testament, when we're 1000 B.C., hearing an oracle from David, he looks ahead at a day, and now we know that that day is so far... 2014 years long. That day has come, it has dawned, but it is not yet fully here. Because all of this, all of this work of renewing and changing, all of this shining like the sun, pouring out of of prosperous, life-giving light that causes new growth to rise up and the weeding out of the destructive, worthless thorns. That has all begun, but it is not done. And it will not be finally done until He comes again and finishes it on that glorious day. And in that day, we will be fully fixed in our minds and fully fixed in our hearts and we will fully fear Him and we will know perfect righteousness and justice. And then on top of that, no longer will our bodies be bound by decay. No longer will we be limited by by fallenness and finiteness. We will be fully what we were made to be, image bearers of God. 
completely, correctly reflecting who He is in all of His goodness and in all of His glory, in all of His creation. And this creation that is bound up in decay because of our fallenness will be set free. Glorious day. Glorious day. You know this, but do you see it? Do you see it? It is a glorious gift to you that God in love sent His Son to be a propitiation for your sin. That is, a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. Do for your sin a glorious gift. He removes off of you wrath and places onto you promise and blessing. A beginning of this great work of shining in glory on you to grow you. And a promise, as sure as He came out of the grave, a promise that He will complete it one day when He comes. Glorious gift to you. What a good God. What a good God. What a good God. With David, we say there is a ruler coming. We still say that, even though we can also now say, and he has come. We still say he is coming to bring in a glorious day. So the second point then. The fullness of that day will surely come Trust Him and bask in the rule of the Son. The fullness of the day is coming. Trust Him and bask in the rule of the Son. We've been looking for this day forever. And I don't just mean since we began 1 Samuel. I mean, forever. Since Genesis 3, we've been looking for this day. And the ruler and this day is surely coming. God has made an everlasting covenant, ordered and secured it in all things. It will not fail. The covenant is sure. God has promised and sworn twice over assuring it. And then furthermore, did you notice that the introduction to the oracle is actually longer than the oracle itself because God is trying to uh, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word. Really, for, uh, yes, honestly, I'm saying this. He raises up David... And and we at first think that David himself is the answer, that he is the special anointed one, the man after God's own heart. But now here at the end of the book, it appears that David was raised up to be positioned to talk about the real answer. To model for us what the real answer looks like. God is in, in numerous ways trying to say, for real, honest, my word 
Surely. Take it to the bank. This ruler, Christ, is coming. We can say again, He has come and He already is coming. Still is coming. Yes. So, why so downcast, O my soul? And why so indignant at an offense? And why so irritated when others don't agree with you? So defensive when you begin to feel that you might be shown to be wrong. So fearful of being lonely or of never getting married or of not having enough money or of forever living in obscure places doing small things and unappreciated jobs. Why so stung by the criticism of people? Why so proud of your own ridiculous accomplishments? Why? Have you watched Christians live recently? Seriously. Have you watched yourself live recently? Now, this, hear the tone in this. I'm trying to poke you. I, I am indeed trying to poke you because there's something here that needs to be parted for exposure's sake. But I'm, I'm not trying to, to rebuke you in, in some condescending way that puts you there and me up here. I, I'm there too. I wrote several of those in there for me. I won't tell you which ones. It's not about me. But several of those are about me. But have you watched Christians live recently? Yourself. Have you seen yourself get angry or frustrated or defensive or impatient or afraid? Get that burr under your saddle or that knot in your stomach or or whatever it is. I was just talking about something. I pray that by the grace of God, I did some degree of justice to it and something was laid out there that you saw. But then, is it not true? I, 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 play, I play a lot of basketball and I'm around a lot of basketball. It's amazing to me how Christians can argue about foul calls. <laughs> First of all, have you ever tried to referee a basketball game? It's hard. We should just take it for granted there are going to be mistakes made. But then, why on earth do we sin over traveling? (laughs) A, A little bit of humor here, but deadly serious. I am completely serious. Do you feel... I'm serious about this. Why on earth are we so downcast and indignant and irritated and defensive and fearful, stung by criticism, impatient in big things and in little things? Why on earth? The answer, follow this very closely, The answer is not what 
many of us might be inclined to say. The answer is not be more patient, be gracious, love. Now, in one sense, that is the answer. But this is the careful part. That is the law. That is the law. Which is the answer. And the problem. Because the law cannot create righteousness in you. It never could. It is the answer. It is righteous. But it cannot create righteousness in you. And glory to God, He has sent a ruler to us that does more than declare to us the law. That is already done. And that is appropriate to do. That is not enough. He has sent a ruler to us that declares to us the law. And then... Spirit anointed Himself pours the Spirit into us to move us to follow His decrees from the inside out, transforming us by renewing our minds so that then we are different when traveling gets unjustly called against me. I say, okay. Because my heart is not there. When you get fired from your job, okay. Because your heart is not there. When my spouse walks out of me, okay, even there, that's not where my heart is. My heart is bound up in and and growing in and sprouting up under the sun in the fear of the Lord and in righteousness and justice. Now, some of those situations may have Many of them do have appropriate recourse to be taken, but taken with open hands and hearts that are not there. Our basic problem, Christian, you look at our impatience, that's not the basic problem. Anger, not the basic problem. Fear, not the basic problem. The basic problem is unbelief. All that I was talking about before. This Christ has come. This ruler has come. He is at work in you. He has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And He is coming to fulfill it in the future. You all agree with me on that. You just don't believe it. In the Bible sense of believe, which is not intellectual, the Bible sense of belief is trust and dependence. We all agree on that. We just struggle to believe it, to rest in it, to bank our lives on it, such that no statement by a referee or a boss or a spouse can destroy me. My heart's somewhere else. You do believe you are a believer, but with that that man long ago, we cry out, I believe, but help my unbelief. And bless God that He is about helping you in your unbelief, rooting out the thorns. Taking out resistance. If we are honest... We fall woefully short 
of what we should be and of what we will be. We Christians even so often live as if there is no king in the land still. Every one of us doing what is right in our own eyes. And graciously, God's ruler Christ is committed to forcing His reign on you. Bless God. That, that's the point where it can become tough for us because we don't like, I use those words on purpose, of course, forcing and reign. We don't like either of those words. It is blessing. For God to force His reign on us is blessing. How does He do it? Well, He does it by, no magic here, He does it by spirit and word. By taking the Word, and as we read it by the Spirit, illumining it in our minds that we see what's there in English on the page, read a thousand times before. Spirit and Word. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth. His Word is truth. James talked about how we should be reckoning ourselves birthed by the Word, by the Word that gives us life. The Spirit that illumines the Word changes us. Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. So what should you do in your struggle to believe? Take up the Word in the Spirit. I believe. Help my unbelief. Spirit of God, press this into me. Show me Christ. Give me greater eyes to believe. Not that I should be patient. I already know that. But but give me eyes to see that He has provided everything that I need. I lack nothing. I can trust Him. Look, He is trustworthy. Give me eyes to see that and believe it so that when something happens, I can say, I'm angry in a situation... Do not convince me that I shouldn't be angry. I already know that. How do I not be angry? I see that you have all of the times of my life in your hands and you order all things for my good and you reign and nothing comes to me that has not worked through your fingers. I have To be angry is to be angry with you. All wise and all good and all gracious God. I'm angry because I, I don't have what I want, but then I should see, oh Spirit, give me eyes to see that I have Christ. And on and on and on and on. Spirit and Word together. Christian, our problem is unbelief. We do not believe what we already know, that the day has dawned, it is growing, and it is coming for certain. It is an unbreakable covenant promised and sworn. The Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. Four times. So why so downcast, O your soul? Why so indignant or why so proud? Put your hope in God. Your salvation and your God. Believe that and surrender to Him and bask under the rule of the sun and you will be like a well-watered garden, sun-drenched and flourishing even when everything else around you is parched and dry. 
but if you will not and instead remain thorns. Be warned. The heaviest of all warnings, there is a consuming fire coming. There's only one place to flee from that. You can't run from Him. You must run to Him. Flee from the wrath to come by fleeing to the King and Judge, Savior and Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us who are your people and who struggle with unbelief. It marks all of us. We struggle with following you. So often knowing what we should do, but struggling to do it. Knowing what we should put off and put on, but struggling to put it off and put it on. God, show us Your good glory in Your Son given to us to save and to bless us with everything that we need. Show Him to us by the Spirit-illumined Word. Fill us and change us and move us then to follow Your decrees. Help Your people grow Your church. Honor Your name. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.